you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, move the sticks. 10 takeaways from week 15 with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky, Rhett back with you. A little takeaway episode. Boys, what's going on? Not just a good, another good week. Another good week of football. College, pro, we got... All kinds of chaos being created. The New York Jets send the world in a tizzy for a minute. So, I mean, it's just another exciting week. And it's the holidays. It's right before yeah. the holidays. So, yeah. Wait, great time. Sorry, wait, hold on. Can you guys hear this? Are you guys hearing this? Are you guys hearing this? Everybody, Everybody like, home hearing this? Everybody seems to really enjoy Rhett uh, typing during the show. It's something we've learned over the last week. Uh, it's been handled. Listening. It's been handled. It's been handled. Okay. Red had to do. Uh, we went Joe Judge on him. He had to run a couple downs. laps. A couple laps, and now uh, it's been it's been resolved. Um, All right, Buck. Enough. Why don't you kick us off here? Why uh, Red doesn't type? <laughs> this is easy. The Chiefs keep it going. First and ten for the Chiefs at the Saint thirteen. Sprint option action. Mahomes keeps it. Pitches it late. Back to Bell at the right sideline. Touchdown, Kansas City. Sprint option. It was Texas Tech pitching to Michigan State. And the Chiefs get the coveted two-possession lead on a 13-yard sprint option run and pitch by Mahomes. Bell finishes it off. You know, it's something else watching the Chiefs play each week because they don't necessarily bring their A game every week, but they find a way to get it done. The last 23 games they've been out, they've won 22 of them. Uh, they have just found a way to consistently get it done. And I understand that the New Orleans Saints were a little shorthanded. You didn't have Michael Thomas. Uh, you lose Cam Jordan in the fourth quarter. You're still trying to figure out how to get Drew Brees back into the mix. But the Kansas City Chiefs go on the road and do what they need to do. And I just think this is a team that is just so tough to deal with because from an offensive standpoint, they can make up for all the mistakes that their defense makes and they can score in bunches and they really put you in a bind. That said, the New Orleans Saints may have put a blueprint out on how to defend them because they really limited the explosive plays. Yeah, and they pressured him. They pressured him and they hit him. I mean, I haven't seen Patrick Mahomes take hits like that uh, in some time. He took a couple of big ones, even when Cam Jordan went out. Um, your your guys' old pal Trey Hendrickson was getting to him a couple of times uh, as well. Look, 92 plays for the Chiefs offense. I mean, that's – that's a that's a hard day's work and that's a full day's work in there on offense. And um, look, I, I, I think the, the McCall Hardman TD pass that floater um, just shows you that even when you do everything right, like the Saints did on that play and you got everyone pretty much covered. Mahomes can still beat you. And he does. And he did on that play, which I thought was just a throwaway like everyone else on the broadcast, too. He, he's just he is better than your best defense is essentially the conclusion. And uh, the other thing is for the Saints, I, I mean, Drew Brees, 
you know, he might get right here these next two weeks, but that wasn't it, right? That's his first sub-50% completion game in like five years. And with no Michael Thomas down the stretch here, you wonder if they're going to have enough to kind of figure things out here to be ready to play week one uh, in the postseason. And then even if they do win their first postseason game, how much confidence do you have in Drew Brees going up to Lambeau to play the Packers? Mm. No, I mean they, they've got to uh, they've got to be playing in the dome there to have a lot of confidence. Uh, but I would say this is Bree started out terrible, right? Was terrible. He got figured it out as the yeah. game went on. He knocked some of that rust off. So I guess it's better yeah. to have him come back in the regular season, knock that rust off before you get to the postseason. But uh, I don't see this team winning outdoors in uh, in Green Bay. I didn't. I just don't see that happening uh, with the way they're constructed with Drew out there. They're going to have to sprinkle in more Taysom Hill if they're going to do that. Uh, one one more thing on the KC deal. I went back and watched. We, we hear so much about Kelsey and Tyreek. So when you go back and watch it, they saw so much man in this game. So you saw every combination of rub route imagine. And then they do it Watkins, Robinson, and Hardman. So they've got three guys that can really, really run. And so you get a rub route, which gives you just a little bit of separation buck. Um, all of a sudden, those five-yard, 10-yard throws turn into 20, 25-yard gains. You know, that's the thing, because everyone thinks the only way you can use speed is in the vertical aspect, but horizontally, speed is an advantage. And uh, it's funny because Kansas City basically did what New Orleans does to most people, run everybody through the picket fence um, yep. and see if you can kind of navigate your way around it. And if you can't, it does lead to explosive games. Um, this Kansas City Chiefs team is just so versatile and dynamic. And you get Lev Bell coming back in the mix uh, because he has to step in for the, the rookie injury. And you can see he can be a factor down the stretch. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys play down the stretch. No doubt. Um, all right, let's keep it rolling here. Let's get to takeaway number two, the death of a dynasty. Quarterback sneak touchdown. There you go. There's the touchdown finally. And that'll give the Dolphins that 21 to 12 lead we thought they had before with 313 left to play. Yeah, so no postseason this year for the Patriots after their incredible run of success with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. That all goes away. The Miami Dolphins uh, take care of the Patriots in this one where – yeah, we'll get to the Dolphins side. You guys hit that if you want. You know, two I thought was very efficient throwing to a bunch of guys that aren't going to be a part of his team going forward. Side, side note on that, there's nobody that started at the skill positions for Tua in that game that would have started for his last team at Alabama. Zero. Not, not a single one. <laughs> not even a joke, right? I mean, like, none of those receivers would play, would, would play over it's anybody. Else. The running backs wouldn't play. Nobody. And tight end Gusecki yeah. wasn't out there, so the tight ends wouldn't have played. Um, but anyways, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll get more pieces around him as they get healthier and add next year. But about New England, I just I want to throw this one thought out to you, Buck. Um, what about the combination of Carson Wentz to New England? How about that one? Interesting. Very interesting because – What do you think? One, is young, a young reclamation project to take on. Josh McDaniels has done really well in terms of getting quarterbacks ready to play. Um, you know, when you look at the number in terms of what the, the number will be, that number won't be exorbitant when it comes to the way these – next quarterback contracts are coming in. So you have someone who has played, who is who has done it. We've seen him at his highest level, and that's what Bill Belichick would grade him on. Yeah, and I think people who are worried about the injury thing, he just took a flyer on Cam Newton coming off an injury. So I don't think that necessarily scares him. It's all about bang for the buck for the Patriots, and they need to do it. Now, that's it. If they take him, they need to make sure they upgrade the wide receivers because I think that is <laughs> yeah. the same thing he dealt with in Philly. He'll be dealing yeah. with the same thing that he dealt with in Philadelphia. And so they have to make a concerted effort to find some pass catchers that can make plays consistently. That is 
a huge problem. And they also got to take the hammer to the rest of the roster because we have seen this is an older team that never had enough replacements that they acquired in the draft the last few years. And it all bore its ugly head this year. So I will double down on that because, uh, I mean, uh, DJ, we talked about it this morning uh, when I was driving in uh, to, to do the aftermath here this morning about, uh, you know, they've got a, the Patriots have to overhaul the wide receiver core um, all the way through. And so they're going to have to overpay. I mean, they need they need a couple of free agents. They're going to have to draft a couple of guys as well. They, they But they're going to have to overpay, as you do most of the time in free agency. Right. So I'm looking at. The top flight guys out there next year are going to be Kenny Galladay if he doesn't get franchised in Detroit, Chris Godwin if he doesn't get franchised in Tampa, uh, Allen Robinson, uh, Will Fuller, and Juju Smith-Schuster are all going to be up. Like, do they have to make a run for one of those guys, one of those top flight guys, or do you see them probably looking in the Demarcus Robinson with the Chiefs, Kendrick Bourne with the 49ers, Chris Conley with the Jaguars? That's more their style, right? But even with those guys – I bet you're still going to have to go the six, seven mil per year kind of route there. That's just mm-hmm. that's just what it costs on the open market. Um, are they going to give Joe Tooney 15 mil per year to be an elite guard? They got I, a center, David Andrews, up too. I don't know that, that you – if you're rebuilding essentially an offense, I don't think you can afford to pay $15 million to a guard. I don't know. I, no. I just – but he's, I mean, he's arguably their best player on offense. Yeah, no, it, it's – it's going to be interesting to see what they do. They can go to a lot of different places. I just think – I'm just thinking of the Jets in my mind. You're all these receivers and offensive linemen. I'm like, there's going to be a line here when you think of some of these other teams that have needs yeah. at, those, at those two positions. Hey, um, but, go ahead. real quick on on the Dolphins, if I just uh, – to say for the playoff team in this conversation, their defense is for real. And I yeah. think that's going to give them an opportunity in the postseason. Uh, I know they're not in there yet, um, but if they – you know, they're going to control their own destiny, destiny. They went out. They're going to be in. And I think their defense is going to give them a shot to win a game. Yeah, just physical, man. That's the way that they play. And Xavier Howard definitely in the uh, in the mix for defensive player of the year with the yeah. with the year that he's Absolutely. having. All right, keep us rolling here, Rhett. What we got? All right, here we go with the intro of the day. Tampa bucks up in the second half. Wow! Wow! <laughs> We're at the Falcon 46, moving right, first down 10. Brady, a seven-step drop, looks downfield, wants all of it, throws toward the end. Got a receiver open, it's Antonio Brown, touchdown Tampa Bay! Buccaneers take the lead for the first time of the game, and Brown has his first touchdown as a Buccaneer. That was such a huge play in that game. His first touchdown is the touchdown that gives them the lead for the first time. But stop me if you've heard this before, right? I mean, let's not bury the lead. A Tom Brady team down 17 points at the half to the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, come on. Not again. Yes. Not again. Uh, So, yes, this is Tom Brady's fourth career win, including the playoffs, after trailing by 17 or more points at the half. The most such wins by any quarterback in that kind of situation in Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl era. And the most recent one since, of course, Super Bowl 51 where he trailed 21 at the half, came back to win 34 to 28. Uh, another thing I learned in our aftermath meeting is that the Falcons, since that Super Bowl 51 game, are now exactly 28 and 34. <laughs> the crazy. score of that, that game. And then that's uh, but Brady was Brady was terrific in the second half. Um, and I, I think that they're going to clinch a playoff berth here with a win in week 16 against the Lions. Um but I'd like to give a ton of credit, as I know you will, DJ, to what the Tampa Bay defense did, particularly from the second level in this game with Devin White having another 
monster performance with uh, with over 10 tackles and three sacks. Yeah, three sacks for him. And, and Buck, on, on uh, one of them, he's just checking checking the back. So when Todd, Todd Gurley stays in, it was a fascinating play because it, Gurley's going to chip and then release. So if the quarterback has time to wait for Gurley, because Devin White's coming, there's nobody there for him. But it's just a, Devin White just saying, I can get to Matt Ryan before he can chip and get out. And it's just like a beeline. He was right. It was a good gamble. He got him. But uh, he is he is a really, really good player. I've got concerns in the back end for that group because I've seen the ball sail over their heads, uh, which would lead me to my kind of takeaway from this game, Buck, is that we ought to do something on great players, bad teams, because Calvin Ridley is a great player, man. Mm-hmm. The, the team stinks, but he is phenomenal. He's an outstanding route runner. Uh, one of the best route runners in the league. And we have seen those guys have a tendency to get open over and over and over again. I think if you're the Atlanta Falcons, I know you're Raheem Morris and you hate to lose, but I think this puts you where you need to be when it comes to draft position. You're sitting at the number five pick. Um, you have Calvin Ridley emerging as a young superstar. You have an older receiver in Julio Jones that maybe you can auction off. We talk about the, this rebuild. And DJ, we talk about it. Red, you've been on the show. We've talked yeah. about it. The, the thing that Atlanta can do is it can seduce you into thinking that it's a retool rather than a rebuild. And I think yeah. this year proves you need to completely rebuild it and bring it back. And you have an opportunity to do it with a new school quarterback leading the way, even though Matt Ryan played outstanding against the Bucs. Yeah, but the previous six, he'd been not oh, yeah, so he'd great. He'd been bad. He'd been bad. Yeah, no, but this, <laughs> this, week, this week was much better for sure. <laughs> okay, here we go. Sam Donald makes his case. That's Johnson who flips from the right to the left of Donald at the snap. On third down, he's got another catch at the 20. He's got the 10. First down at the 5. He gets the pylon for a touchdown. Able to run through Jordan Fuller and convert the 19-yard touchdown. Ty Johnson doing damage on the Jets' opening drive. They've got a 6-0 lead with 6.25 to go first quarter. Hey, Sam Darnold is not immune to hearing the conversation and what everyone has been saying in New York, the jerseys that have already been printed up with a prospect from maybe Clemson coming over. But Sam Darnold had an opportunity to do something about it. And so in his homecoming, he decided that, oh, no, 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 no. I'm the QB one for the New York Jets, and it's not changing. I thought this was one of the better performances that we've seen from the Jets. This is a team that deserved to win. They should have beat the Patriots a few weeks ago. They should have knocked off the Raiders, if not for an ill-fated defense of the Hail Mary. And then they got it against the Rams. One under, I guess, underreported factor in this, Frank Bush, their interim defensive coordinator, was with the Rams during Jerry Goff's rookie season. And so someone knowing the warts on that quarterback I don't think it was a coincidence that they dialed it up and they heated him up. He wilted under the pressure, didn't play well. I think the Jets deserve to win it. As much as Jets fans and everybody wanted to see the number one pick, too much pride involved when you get into these contests. They won the game. They beat them up for 60 minutes and deserve to win. I just, to me, I have a hard time with this. I know a lot of Jet fans are upset about this and losing a chance at, at Trevor Lawrence. And there's there's an aspect of that that we'll hit on tomorrow's podcast, uh, Buck. I know we want to mm-hmm. talk about this because I did some homework. If you look at the last 11 drafts and you look at who the first quarterback was picked and you look at who went on to be the best quarterback from that draft, the numbers will Not surprise a, you a little bit yeah. on that one. So we'll get to that tomorrow. So that's a tease for tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, but the other side of this is there's something kind of psychological about this. While the Jets have a lot of picks and they have a lot of money, they're going to bring in a lot of new players and try and retool this team. They still have a nucleus of some guys. 
And do you really want that culture to be anything other than trying to win every time you put your your cleats on the grass? Like, I just, I don't think you can be a winning culture if that seeps into your mind. I, I just don't, I'm, I'm not wired that way. And I, I think that sometimes we get caught up in the media and, and people comparing the NFL to other sports. This is not the NBA. This is not LeBron James coming uh, to be the savior and, and to lead your team to the finals every year for you know a decade plus. Like That's not how this works in the NFL. There's a lot more to it than that. And if you're the Jets, if, you, if, you get, if you're able to get Trevor Lawrence with the first pick, you're still going to have to hit on a lot of other players in order to be a championship team. And if you don't get Trevor Lawrence, if you, can, if you think Sam's the right guy, you build around him. If you think there's another quarterback in this draft class, you build around him. You still got to build a dang team. And so this whole the sky is falling, it's never they're never going to recover because they're not going to have Trevor Lawrence potentially. Um, I, I don't buy that. No, I don't I don't buy it either, DJ. I mean, I think this this is what you you want to do. You want to give yourself the best opportunity to get out there and win each week, and they deserve it. And nobody wants 0-16. Yeah. I mean, right, you can speak to that. Who, who the you know, you 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 with with well, the Lions, nobody wants that. <laughs> nobody wants that. I I that's the it's the first line and and what I was uh when I was kind of just looking at all of our takeaways here that, that popped into my mind is I was like, all right, look, good for Sam Darnold, good yeah. for Adam Gates, maybe not as good for Joe Douglas, but good for the Jets. Um, yeah. Because in my 2008 Lions fandom, I sat around waiting for that win number one and it never came. I'm still yeah. waiting for it, you know, and, and it's, it sucks to lose and to lose week in and week out when you are in, as invested as every single person in that Jets organization is in winning and to come out and lose for 13 straight weeks. Um, it wears on you and they, you know, I'm happy for them to get that win. I don't know. Look, the whole number one pick thing, you know, we'll talk about that uh, for the next few weeks here. But the, the, the interesting thing is <laughs> they'd become the first number, the first one in 15 team to not get the number one pick. Since yeah. like uh, your Carolina Panthers, Bucky, and, and, they, and they only missed out because the Texans came into the league as an expansion team and uh, and got the number one. So, it, look, it's it's a it's a kind of a, a rub both ways. I see it, but um, I don't know. It'll it'll make for an interesting draft conversation. That's for sure. Yep. It makes oh. the draft uh, spice up a little bit here for us because Jacksonville, we knew, was taking a quarterback. They weren't going to be committed <laughs> yeah. to Gardner Minshew. With Sam Darnold, it, it becomes a little more complex, which is going to be right. good for us in the spring, selfishly speaking. Uh, exactly. All right, I'll keep it moving here. Uh, Philip peaking at the perfect time. Again, Pascal motion from right to left. Rivers sets up, throws left side to Zach Pascal at the five-yard line, looking for the pylon, and he's in! Yeah, Zach Pascal's been good, man. I'm gonna do a little breakdown on him on the aftermath today. He's been uh, he's been impressive and on the same page as his quarterback and Philip Rivers, who, Buck, if you haven't noticed, is uh, he's not turning the football over. But you look at the last uh, five six weeks, he's done a really good job playing clean football. Really, the only loss has been against the Colts team when they didn't have DeForest Buckner, they didn't have Jonathan Taylor, they were down a bunch of guys to the Titans, I, I should say. Uh, that Titans game is the only game they've lost. So uh, this is a team that's really humming along. And I think Phillip Rivers is showing when he's protected. It might not always look beautiful coming out of his hand, but he gets it where it needs to be. And they're playing winning football. They are playing winning football, DJ. And I, I believe like the Kansas City Chiefs are the clear number one team in the AFC and even in the league. But if I could say the one team that they don't want to face, I would say it would be the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts knocked them off in 2019. They play a style that works against what 
the Kansas City Chiefs want to do. And Phillip Rivers is the ultimate wild card because in a one-game scenario, if he gets hot, he can certainly light up the scoreboard. And so this team is rounding into form. And as long as Frank Wright avoids the temptation of getting cute and trying to do too much with the quarterback, I think this team is built the right way because they are a fast team and they're very, very physical and they have a dominant set of trenches, you know, O-line, D-line, that gives them a chance. Uh, I, I just, I mean, I think you guys have, have nailed it here on this. Uh, Rivers has played really well, and, and they've really rediscovered T.Y. Hilton in this offense the last three weeks. Now, in addition to Zach Paschal and the way Jonathan Taylor's running the football, their offense is clicking on all cylinders, that's for sure. So, Phillip Rivers has 18 touchdowns and four interceptions since week six. Mm. What if he continues on this hot streak, they have a deep run in the playoffs, and he says he wants to come back next year? I think they'd take him back. I, I think they would take yeah. him back for you. Even if Carson Wentz was available? Well, that would be an interesting discussion. But there would be, but <laughs> yeah. I, I I think I think they would probably feel even better with Phillip Rivers than Carson Wentz because they know I what they got in that. They know exactly what they got. And they just went through a year doing it. And yeah. Phillip is taking a little bit of a back seat to the running game when he's needed to without whatever. I think it's just an easier thing from the cultural thing that you created in the locker room to bring Phillip back as opposed to bringing another thing. Now I would suggest today draft a guy, but I think it's it's a matter what they think of him. Well, say that again, DJ. They've got Eason. It's just a matter of what they think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, but I don't know. Look, I mean, obviously we're making the connection because of Frank Reich and his success with Carson in Philadelphia. So just want to make sure that's clear, but um, you know, it's, it's interesting because with a quarterback like Phillip Rivers, I mean, it, it, it has the potential to completely fall off a cliff and it could happen week two next year. It could yeah. happen week three. You know, we don't know. Um, we don't know. And that's all due respect to his talent. What he's done this year, it's been terrific and a, and a big reason why the Colts are having their success. So interesting conversation. Uh, I'll get us to the next one here. The Ravens roar past the Jags. Mark Jackson in the shotgun in an empty backfield. 129 left to play in the half. Jackson wants to throw. Backpedaling at the 20. Now he'll dart over to the left, extends the play, fires to the end zone. Touchdown, Des Bryant, his first as a Raven. And he'll flash the X to the stands. He has waited four-plus years to get back to the end zone as the former Dallas Cowboy gets his first score as a Raven. Good for Des Bryant. Um, you know, I, I didn't intend to go deep on Des here, but I've read a couple of things um, since uh, since then this morning. And so... You know, I, I was listening to to his comments after the game, and I was, you know, always I was watching his Instagram clips of him running routes in the offseason for months and months and months and posting all that stuff. And, you know, he, he talked about how his daughter was his motivation for getting back into the league. Like he was content to call it a career uh, after tearing his Achilles with the Saints, sitting out a season and not having many bites and his daughter was the one that encouraged him to get back into it. So he started working and he started working out and, and he got back and uh, talked about how he was going to give that ball, the touchdown that he caught uh, to her. And, you know, I just, I, I love seeing those kind of, those kind of reclamation stories. And, um, you know, it was a big, it was a big play for the Ravens in that game. And, and, you know, he couldn't end up being a, a good player for him down the stretch here into the playoffs. And the other thing was, you know, like everyone's talking about throwing up the X right for the first time. Like he talked about what it meant and I didn't, I didn't really know what the whole throwing up the X thing meant. And he said, you know, it means Xing out the the negativity, not letting the criticism or the negativity into your life and to get to you. And 
He certainly had to do that here the last three years, um, 1,106 days uh, since he last caught a touchdown. So I just thought that whole thing was cool um, for Dez. And then uh, Lamar Jackson, it's, it, this, is, this is his time right now. He's, he is playing well. He's playing with the MVP we saw from a year ago. Now, can they get into the can they get into the dance? Because I think they'll cause some problems if they do. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's funny you talk about xing out all the stuff. I think the Baltimore Ravens have finally xed out all the criticism and all the conversation yeah. about how they should play, and they've got back to playing the way that they're built to play. They played a team that they were superior than, and what they did, they kept it really simple. They hit him right in the face and ran the ball. And I think for the Baltimore Ravens, when they stick to that script, that is when they're at their best. When they attempt to be something that they're not and they get out of character, that's when it trips them up. I will say the way that they're using J.K. Dobbins is really interesting. When you look at the tape and you see them using jet sweeps and fly sweeps sweeps. and all of that other stuff, he is becoming a bit of a factor because in the backfield, they don't have a lot of juice. He is their juice player, and they're beginning to give him opportunities to have those explosive plays on the perimeter. And I'll just I'll just finish this one up before Bucky gets to the next takeaway with when you look at all the picks the Jacksonville Jaguars have and now the number one overall pick as it stands right now. Uh, it's in a pretty attractive job. They've got some good young players on that team. You've got a boatload of picks, including potentially the number one overall pick. Um, I think that one you can make a case jumps to the front of the line for a lot of people when you look at desirable jobs. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's a, it's a great job. It's a job that people are going to clamor for with all the things that are lined up there. Take away number seven, the Cardinals survive. Shotgun snap to Murray, drops back to throw, fires left side, Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins puts his hands up and he catches it, and it's a touchdown. I have no idea how he caught that ball. DeAndre Hopkins' hands are as good as we've ever seen in the National Football League. I have no idea how he caught that football with a defender all over him. uh, It's funny in making that call because he does have remarkable hands. And I know if you're in Arizona, you're Steve Kime and that crew, and you've been looking at Larry Fitzgerald make these catches for years on end. If we had to to make a debate between who has the better hands between Larry Fitzgerald (laughs) and DeAndre Hopkins, I don't know. It would have to be a thought because these guys catch everything because later in the game, Larry Fitzgerald makes a catch in the corner of the end zone. Yes. And you're sitting there like, how did Larry Fitzgerald see this? And so this is a team that survived. And I will say that they couldn't necessarily put the Eagles away the way that you thought they would be able to put them away. But I do believe this is a team that can be problematic for teams just because Colin Murray had a 400-yard day. He can scoot and scatter with his, with his running ability. And then DeAndre Hopkins can make plays. Jefferson Yarrow can make plays. Just a tough team. And Isaiah Simmons is beginning to play more. Isaiah Simmons, Hassan Reddick, the way they're dialing up the blitz packages. Pass rush. Man, they're, they're really random, and they're scary because they come after you in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I talked to Hassan Reddick on uh, NFL Now, and just uh, kind of an interesting career arc that he's taken. He seems to have found a home now rushing the passer on the outside uh, for this team after not being in that position in his first couple of years. Uh, kind of going through what this is, third defensive coordinator now in four years with Vance Joseph and seems to have found a home here. Uh, the thing I'll say on the Eagles is, you know, we talk about Jalen Hurts and, and the word that is most associated with him has been spark, right? Everybody wants you know, looking for the spark. Well, he is the spark. He is an energy giver. But with the spark and with the energy, he also brings calm and poise, I felt like. And um, it just even when they were down early, you just you felt like they had a chance. 
like there was a there was a confidence when the Eagles offense was out onto the field and I don't I don't know that that was there uh, before he was he was out there. So, how, you know, how do you send him back to the bench if he puts up two more games? You're not. If, you're, if not he, yeah. you're not. And there you go. Yeah. Take it away. And, and that's why we always talk about, too, though, with the quarterback position, people look at the salary. It, it's it's the budgeted amount you have for the position. So the fact that if Carson were to not work out and you move on and you have to take some of that hit on. Really, when you consider how little Jalen Hurts is going to be making as a second-round pick, it's the money allocated to the position. So it's not like you're replacing an expensive entity with another expensive entity coming in. It isn't. It doesn't cost that much. So you can kind of throw that away in terms of, oh, because of the money, they couldn't do this. Well, yeah, they, absolutely they can. They've got the money budgeted for that position. It's just a matter of who's out there playing. Um, and, he, and he's earning that opportunity. Now, the, the one the one caution cautionary thing I would throw out there is, I think we kind of talked about Carson. He needed to speed up his clock, and Carson got a little bit shell-shocked because he just got hit so much, and I thought that really impacted him. Jalen took six sacks in this game. After last week, I want to say against the Saints, I don't think he took one. Um, so this this offensive line is not healthy. They stink, and he's done a good job of overcoming that and finding ways to make plays. But, gosh, you know, when you start having those five- and six-sack games – that has a residual effect down the line here. So they've got to figure out a way to either get him some more design winners, some quick hitters, um, or do a better job of keeping him upright, Buck. Yeah, no, it was funny because in watching this game, they brought pressure. I mean, they brought zero pressures. They were coming after him, and they did a really good job of covering it up. The one thing that I would like to see the Eagles do, they love the fade ball. But, man, versus the blitz, every time you blitz, you can't just say my answer is the fade because it's such a low – percentage pass so I would just like to see them do more with it but uh Red you you hit the nail on the head when it came to poise his experience and his ability to kind of calm everything down I think his best trait really has to do with that part of it he has been a pro's pro when it comes to managing the huddle even when you hear him talk about hey we got to play to the standard that's not good enough I just think his leadership ability has really stood out doing these two games yep And, and one other thing here before we move on to the next one I'll get us to the Vikings here in a second. But um, I thought, you know, the Eagles didn't have all their guys defensively. I thought the 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 way they tried to defend Kyler, which did not work, but it was it was fascinating because you've seen a couple teams do this now, which is you're not going to be able to stop Kyler from escaping in every direction, right? Because you've got, what, five or six different ways you can go as a, as a quarterback to be able to escape. I think there's six. They say there's six lanes, right? You're not going to be able to stop all that. Some people will try and attempt the mush rush. So they're just going to try and make a wall up in front of you. Some people are going to try and pin you in. Um, I don't think he's so difficult to do that too. So what they did is they ended up dropping off. uh, They did a few times that I saw on the tape, the, the end to his right. So they would drop him off to spy him, but basically trying to encourage him. If he is going to escape, Buck, they wanted to get him to escape to the left, get him Take to go him away from his person. And it's, it didn't even – I mean, there was one time where he still escapes to the right and then and then the spy closed on him quick. He dumps it off in the flat. They break a tackle. It's a long gainer. But I think it's fascinating just to see how teams are trying to deal with Kyler Murray and all the trouble he presents. Yeah, he presents a lot of problems. And I, I think what Kyler has to, to know – is that he needs to use his legs enough to make them stay on board with that. Because sometimes in the pocket or whatever, they need to run them enough to make sure that they always fear that part of his game. But this offense is unique, and they are better when they're able to run the football. Kenyon Drake being able to have plays, Kyler Murray being able to break, contain, and do some things. If they run the ball and add some balance to this offense, this is when I think they really operate at their best. 
All right, let's uh, let's keep it going here with the uh, the Vikings need a defensive overhaul. To the 14, a fresh set of downs. Graham in motion to the right. Snap Trubisky, extend the hand off right. Opening for Montgomery, 10, 5, into the end zone with a couple piggyback rides along the way. Touchdown, Bears! David Montgomery does it again in a 26-17 lead. Okay, so here's a name that I'm sure nobody's thought of this whole year, definitely not on the national level, and that's Michael Pierce. Michael Pierce, a defensive tackle from the Baltimore Ravens at the Minnesota Vikings, signed in the offseason. Now, he, he opted out of the season. So you lose Linval Joseph. You let him walk. And he was actually, even though the Chargers don't have a good win-loss record, Linval Joseph's played very well. He's a really good player. So you're going to let him walk. You're hoping to replace him with Michael Pierce. You take him out of that mix. Then you look at Daniil Hunter in that situation. They, they haven't had two key pieces there, is, is absolutely the case. But also, when you look at them at the second and third level, even though I know there's a lot of money and a lot of high draft picks in those areas, they have not played well enough. Uh, they are going to have to get some reinforcements. I'm just not used to seeing a Mike Zimmer defense you know, consistently give up 30 points in all these losses. They, they have got to be better there. I think Kirk Cousins is kind of an easy uh, punching bag for a lot of people, and it's the quick, uh, easy thing there. But when you look at their losses – a lot of those games are giving up way too much defensively. So they, they've got to figure out, you know, they've got to get guys, get guys healthy, get some people back, but they're going to have to retool that defense. Yeah, they have to retool it a few different ways because you also have to remember they let a lot of coaches go in the offseason. So this is a completely new bunch. So you have Adam Zimmer and Andre Patterson sharing the defensive coordinator title and responsibilities with Mike Zimmer overseeing it. And then you brought in a new guy. So it, it takes a change in continuity and chemistry to get everybody on the same page. And also trying to play all these young players after you lose Anthony Barr and some of the other guys, it has really impacted the defense because this isn't the Minnesota defense that I'm used to seeing. So, I mean, you touched on, I don't know, I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, they, Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks are locked up with big money deals uh, for another few years. I mean, maybe they can get out of the Harrison Smith contract. I mean, he's under, he's under contract for another year after this season, but I think all the guaranteed money's been paid. Um, Anthony Harris probably gone, right? Playing on the franchise tag. Um, But I mean, they've committed some some real valuable resources to the secondary here in the last couple of years. You look at Mike Hughes, a first rounder, Cam Dantzler, a second, Jeff Gladney, a first rounder. I mean, you got to you got to count on some development there at some point, too. Right. Yeah. You're hoping those young guys are going to develop. But at some point in time, you got to infuse some 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 new guys as well as you're going along. It's not good enough right now. Let me just check in real quick. does this mean that uh, the Bears might give a second look to Mitchell Trubisky if he guides yeah, into the playoffs? So, so here's an interesting – let me give you an interesting thing here. You, remember, the Bears did not pick up his fifth-year option. Mm-hmm. Correct. So then also think about the fact that Allen Robinson's a free agent. So if you want to franchise tag him, then you're going to let Allen Robinson walk out the door. They're in no man's land in the draft. They're picking 15 or 16 somewhere around there right now. You figure they're going to beat Jacksonville this week. That pick's not going up higher. So they're kind of almost out of range of drafting a quarterback. Trubisky's played well since Bill Lazor took over the play calling. It is what it is. I think you've got to give Bill Lazor some credit. He's played, Trubisky's played this is all, all what it is. He's played winning football the last yes. four weeks. He's played that's yes. got that out of him. Montgomery's played winning football too. They would have picked up his option. So to me, if you're the Bears, this is an interesting thing. As I kind of understand this as well, because of the franchise tag and the salary cap 
um, you know, situation going forward. I think that number can come down a little bit to where it maybe was expected to be, uh, you know, 27 and a half, 28. I think it can be back, back down to like 24 and a half, like 24. What are your, what, who, my, we always say it though. People always say, I want to move on. Who are you going to get? Who are you going to get? And if he plays like this, if they win their last couple games and get into the postseason, and and Bill Lazor's been calling plays and Trubisky's been playing well, then you're you're in a you're in a tricky spot here. I, I would almost I would be tempted if if you're the Bears, Buck. Think about this. What if you went to Trubisky and said, "Okay, we want to we want to ride this out for another year, but we also don't want to lose Allen Robinson. And if you don't if you don't franchise tag Allen Robinson, he's gone because there's too many teams that are looking for weapons right now. He'd he'd get over twenty million a year more than likely. So. If you're the Bears, what if you went to Trubisky and said, okay, the franchise number's 24 and a half, right? I'll give you a one-year contract at, let's say, 20 guaranteed, okay? But with the incentives where we can go beyond the 24.5, you know, you, you play well, now this can get to 27, 28. So there's, you know, you lock in your 20, but then you have a chance to get beyond what you would sign if you just signed the franchise number. Then you have your quarterback for another year to look at, and you could franchise Allen Robinson, so you wouldn't lose him. There, there you go. If yeah, I, but then they, but then Mitchell Trubisky shows his true colors the next year, and you lose both him and yeah. Allen Robinson the following. I can't let y'all lose you, Jay. You got to give me out an idea. You got to give me a couple years on that. So, so you might have to sign Mitchell Trubisky to the Blake Bortles deal. You may have to sign him to the three year. Don't don't call it the Blake Bortles deal if you want it to get done. That's my. That's my <laughs> I'm just saying, but like that's that's what it's looking like because, yeah, I, I don't want to say you misplayed your hand, but when you sat him out and then you put him back in, you now have hurt yourself because yeah. all the leverage now goes back to Mitchell because now he can yeah. be like, oh, I don't like He's being like all of a sudden they run the ball, they're running the ball, they're playing better. Yeah, they are, they are. So, I mean, it's a weird spot. That team is in a weird spot, man. Really weird spot. All right, I'll get us to takeaway number nine here, and it's the Seahawks surging into the playoffs. Carson picked up nine, giving the ball off to Hyde, and he breaks free inside the 40, down to the 30. He's on the run, 20, 15, 10. He's going to go in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Chris Carson loosened him up, and Carlos Hyde makes him pay as Carlos takes the touchdown in from 50 yards out. And the Seahawks extend their lead on this opening drive of the second half. 19-3, to Carlos Hyde, what a run. How cool is that, by the way? I don't know if you guys are watching that game. Some 8K video resolution on uh, some of those uh, replays and some of those celebrations on there. I mean, it was like... I don't think I, was like, I, think I got the 8K on my computer. Uh, uh, you didn't see I just... That yeah, was awesome. Um, so, look, I'll make this quick here. I think this was an important win for the Seahawks. Obviously important for them to get into the playoffs, clinch their playoff berth, and to now, with the Rams' loss, assume the top spot in the NFC West at least for about six days until they come back and play the Rams again this week. Um, But I thought it was good from an offensive game plan standpoint, considering what they might face once they do get into the playoffs. This is a good defense with Washington. I mean, any way you want to cut it, that front is as good as it gets, right? Um, they figured out how to run the football against them. They ran for 181 rushing yards. And that feels a little bit more Seattle-like than what we kind of saw the first six weeks of the season when they were uh, undefeated and throwing the ball all over the place. We know they can do that. Um, And now we know that they can run the ball against a good defense. So I think that this is helpful for them. Um, 
this was help from, helpful for them as they go into the postseason. And uh, obviously it was a, uh, it, it was an impactful win based on what it got them. So I think, I think all around this was uh, this was a nice week for Seattle. Yeah, I think it was a, it was a huge win. Uh, just the way that they were able to do it. The running game has to show up for them because the way they were playing early in the year, that wouldn't, that wasn't a sustainable model. Not necessarily yeah. because Russell Wilson couldn't handle all that on his shoulders, but you can't expose your defense to all of the extra plays that kind of, come along with playing that fast break style that they were doing. Now you're seeing the defense play a little better. Jamal Adams and Carlos Dunlap have enhanced the pass rush. You're seeing the running game enable them to control the clock, and they're able. They're on the plus side of 30 uh, minutes of time of possession, which is what they want to do. And then you always have Russell Wilson in your back pocket to kind of make things right. This is the way the Seattle Seahawks have to play, and you're right. I think they are surging at the right time, and I think right now it's – Maybe clear. Maybe they're the best team in the NFC West, and that's going to give them a chance to get a good seat. Oh, I ask you guys this one before we get to the final takeaway. I have been going through the tape this morning. I haven't got to this game yet, so I don't want to talk about something I haven't seen. How did Haskins look? Uh, I mean, five times. Yeah, like I mean, he started out slow. He got into a rhythm or whatever. But like DJ, I just think this is a a failed marriage between like play caller and player. I don't think they really like the players, so I don't think they necessarily set it up uh, if you're all the way invested in him to succeed. Mm -hmm. And so for him to throw 55 times when you know you don't really trust him, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know why they didn't run the ball more. Interesting, yeah, I mean, they got down early, but uh, he threw 55 times. It doesn't seem to be a recipe for success in this one. And he had a couple of big drives late, but it, at, at that point, I think it was it was, uh, it was was already over. Why this thought's in my mind before, Bucky, you get to your last takeaway. I, I do want to – we do know that uh, what happened with Carolina, with Marty Herney, and they've made a change at the GM position. We'll hit that on the pod tomorrow. So that will be something Good. that we'll have uh, to discuss. So I don't want you guys to think we're leaving, leaving that one out here. Uh, what do you got here, Bucky, for number 10? Baker Mayfield. Is on a roll. Mayfield in the shotgun. Baker waits. Second down and goal. Now they move Peoples Jones in motion. Mayfield play action fake. Drifts back. Drifts back. Throws end zone. Caught. Landry's got it. And he's got it for a touchdown. The Browns go ahead 13-3 to with 21 seconds left to go. You know, the, the Cleveland Browns are an interesting team. This is the game that they were supposed to win. Uh, they were favored to beat the Giants, and they took care of business. I think the thing that really stood out is how good Baker Mayfield was. This is a Giants team that we've seen give some quarterbacks problems with the way that they played, and he was good. He was accurate. He was decisive. 27 to 32, 297 yards, two touchdowns. And I think the confidence, the more that he plays in Kevin Stavansky's system, the better we're seeing him perform. And the Browns are a very, very difficult team to defend because they're running the football. You have to deal with the two-headed monster and Chubb and Hunt. And then with Baker Mayfield being able to throw effectively, it works. This is a team that's systematic more than anything, but it really, really works for them. Yeah, I went back and watched uh, Baker in this one, and it was he was protected. It was clean. It was on time. It was just easy. He just made it look really, really easy. Well, he was back at Oklahoma back there. Um, and, and the other thing is, for anybody that ever uh, you know has any doubts or, or issues with Baker May- Mayfield's skill, Buck, he, man, the velocity, it jumped out of his hand. When you watch that tape, and that's not easy place to throw. Well, he he certainly winds up for it. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, like he, he, puts some, he puts some oomph on that thing. I mean, he'd throw – it did some torque uh, on that shoulder, but uh, it does come out uh, for sure. Look, I just thought the bounce back was big. 
you know, after yeah. like a really tough loss on Monday night, a little bit of a short week coming back on Sunday night and um, good teams figure out how to put that behind them quickly and win and against the team you should beat. And they did that uh, against a good defense too. Right. Um, and, you know, in doing so all of the AFC wildcard teams hold serve here this week, which makes, uh, makes our jobs a lot more fun here over the course of the next two weeks as they try to uh, try to figure out who's going to make the dance here in the AFC. No, it was a fun week of football, and we've got uh, the college football playoff is all set. We'll have a chance to talk about that on some of these other podcasts uh, this week as well. We'll hit those topics. But I uh, uh, appreciate it, guys. That was a fun one today, uh, ripping through what we saw week 15 of the NFL season as we march down towards the finish line. Uh, appreciate you guys hanging out with us here. Uh, we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.